One thing I'm grateful to God for is a healthy body, as well as the time to use it by going on adventures. In my sunny home of Phoenix, Arizona, there's a lot of natural and unique beauty to enjoy by way of a nice bike ride on a Saturday morning. Nature always reminds me of God's brilliance and genius, and the joy of exploring brings a sense of peace that only the outdoors can offer. Whether it's hiking a nearby trail, biking, or simply just taking a walk through my verdant neighborhood and seeing all of the flora and fauna, there's always a lesson, usually more than one, that God has to offer. Recently on one such adventure, I couldn't help but notice something funny. I went through a nice part of town that included Paradise Valley and also Scottsdale. If you aren't familiar with these places, they're basically some of the nicest and wealthiest places in the country. Million dollar homes, spacious golf courses, and beautiful vistas and trails are pretty abundant. The name itself, Paradise Valley, is actually a foreshadowing of what I wanted to share with you today, because it's reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. What I noticed on my recent adventure was that people in Scottsdale and Paradise Valley love their gated communities. <laughs> of course, I already knew this, but there's a deeper level to understand here. I realized over and over again that it is built into our DNA to want to return to paradise. Everywhere I looked, this was the ideal. Every home tried to recreate its own version of the Garden of Eden, its own quote, oasis of sorts. A getaway from the harshness and difficulty inherent to life that we all know too well. Indeed, there is a hidden ideal that we all recognize regardless of our backgrounds or beliefs. And that ideal is wanting to live in paradise. Fun fact, the street that I live on is actually called Paradise Lane. What I find interesting is that the Bible begins and ends with a vision of paradise. In the beginning, it was man, woman, and God in a beautiful world. And by the end, we see the fulfillment of that picture in Christ, his bride, which is the church, and a renewed creation. Yet what lies in between these two points of time is what I am after today, which is the journey of grace as it plays itself out through history. The Bible tells us that this journey actually began before we were born. In Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God tells the young prophet that he knew him and had chosen him for the job before he was even born. In Psalm 139 verse 13, David famously praises God for knitting him in his mother's womb. I believe this is one of the most beautiful pictures of God's unimaginably intentional and delicate love for each and every one of his children. And it shows that grace is not only intentional, but active even before we came into existence. Yet once we arrive in this world, we too, like Adam and Eve, soon fall from paradise. Sin is always creeping at the door, and very early on in life we succumb to its power. In fact, psychological studies have shown that even within the first two years of life, babies learn to manipulate their parents for attention and what they want, which means that there's basically zero chance to ever escape the clutches of sin by the time we are an adult human being. The Bible indeed reminds us that the heart is desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, that we should not lean on our own understanding, Proverbs 3 verse 5, but there's always a way that seems right, but in fact it leads to death, Proverbs 14, 12, that nobody seeks after God naturally, Romans 3, verse 10, that the work of Jesus is foolishness to the world, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, and that even the best of our good deeds are like filthy rags without a relationship to God, 
Isaiah 64, verse 6. I hope you see that in just this cursory view of man's depravity, the point is that we are nothing without God's grace, and that outside his intervention in our lives, we would be left for dead. It is this brutally honest and morose reality that we as Christians must remind ourselves of daily. Saul would have kept being Saul if Christ had not completely and utterly changed the trajectory of his life through the Damascus Road experience. Some of us may have such experiences, while others hit rock bottom, have near-death experiences, or simply are open to the truth in a way that they never would have experienced or expected. This is why grace, as it plays out in our lives, is always irresistible, unpredictable, and completely and permanently life-changing. So now, back to my point about the gated communities in Ritzy Scottsdale and Paradise Valley. Mankind has an innate hunger to be reconciled with God, but the Bible tells us that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Everyone chases paradise because there is a deep and bottomless void in the human heart, a void that only God can fill. Yet this feeling is conditional upon a relationship with God, which ultimately comes at the cost of our pride and our attachment to the world. Because the heart is desperately wicked and nobody seeks after God, every human being naturally strives to fill this void through worldly means. Get a bigger house, a nicer car, a ritzy golf club membership maybe, surround yourself with beautiful people, go to fancy parties, whatever. We chase and chase and chase some more and never truly fill the bucket because our bucket wasn't designed to be filled by a dying world but rather by the undying God and source of all life in the cosmos. It is with this realization of trouble in paradise that we come to a more refined understanding of God's grace. It's not just a pardon of past sins or even mercy in the present moment. It is a dynamic, living thing. It was there before the foundation of the world in choosing us to be redeemed out of the world when the time was right. It was there on our Damascus road to turn us from a dead Saul into a living Paul. It is there throughout our lives because of God's providence and promises, and it will be there for eternity as we rest forever in the unimaginable and incomprehensible knowledge that God, in his love, decided to be humiliated and killed on our behalf. No, my dear friends, grace is not just a pardon or a nice word. Grace is life itself. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus sustains the world by the word of his power. Every single breath that we take has God's name written on it. We are completely contingent beings, completely dependent beings, and completely reliant on God's grace to live. To come to the realization that Christ is the Savior is a supernatural work of God, because there is no way we would have ever meandered into such an awesome idea had he left us to our own devices. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins. Take note, not injured or slowed down, but dead, as in zero chance of ever doing anything to be saved. A dead body is nothing. It can't respond and it certainly can't choose. This is who we were spiritually before being given life through supernatural means thanks to the Holy Spirit. To be born again like this is first and foremost to call this dependence to mind. 
This is why I believe you cannot lose your salvation. Anyone who is genuinely regenerated will never let go of God because they realize their utter and complete dependence on every word that comes from his mouth. They realize the truth and they see past the material illusion. And the only response to the truth is running to the Savior in desperation. Of course, part of the truth is that God is not a God of salvation because he offers salvation, but rather because he completes it. God will not let go of anyone he has chosen to reveal himself to. And this is something you can, quote, take to the bank. Life is full of ups and downs. Peter denied Christ three times, but we know that we will see Peter on Resurrection Day because there was grace for that. God will persevere his saints because God does perfect work and what God wills, he accomplishes. With all this in mind, it's important to remember every day that grace is a living and dynamic thing. To me, it is the dance of life, a dance between 1 Corinthians 6.20 and Ephesians 1.14. Don't worry if these verses aren't calling anything to your mind right away, because here's what they mean. The first reminds us that we were bought for a price, and the second encourages us that the Holy Spirit working in our lives is a guarantee of our inheritance with Christ. God does not take back his guarantees or his down payments, and what that means is that we can rest assured that the grace we are palpably feeling and appreciating is much more than just a pardon, but truly a promise, one that is more sure than the rising of the sun. The Bible says that one day every knee and tongue will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11. In other words, everyone will surrender regardless of their position, their beliefs, their background, their power, their age, or anything else. All principalities and rebellion, including the devil, will bow the knee and surrender to God Almighty. Everyone will surrender. This is a fact of reality and history and a certain destination. But the question is this, what is the nature of your surrender? Do you find your life today in surrender to the risen Lord through his grace? Or will you find surrender at the lake of fire when all rebellion will be held to account by God's absolute authority and power? I hope and pray that you and those you love discover the irresistible, unpredictable, life-changing grace and surrender much sooner than then, because those calling hell a joke or a place of partying will be in for the biggest disappointment in the history of the universe. When Satan tempted Eve back in the Garden of Eden, he knew very well that God was completely just. In fact, he counted on it because he knew that disobedience meant death and that Adam and Eve would be cursed to die. Either they would be destroyed or they would begin to age. Either way, in Satan's mind, it was a victory. And for a good several thousand years, it seemed like he had indeed won and tricked God into giving him the world. Yet despite Satan's cleverness, there was one thing he severely underestimated, God's grace. This is a very profound thing and I truly hope you get it. Justice does not need much time to be known. Here's the rules, here's the punishment for breaking the rules. Pretty black and white. And every being under and in heaven knows the rules and also the punishment for the rules. They also know that God is sovereign and completely capable of enforcing the rules because he is the creator. So far, so good. Nobody needs to test whether God is just 
because nobody wants to die. But how do we know if God is merciful? Better yet, how can God, whose yoke is easy and who is humble in heart, according to Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, and who yearns for a relationship with his creation, how can he show his heart so that they truly know who he is? So that they know he is not just an all-powerful robot enforcing the rules, but rather a truly genuine, loving, and gracious person. What a challenge. Yet nothing is impossible for God. This is why we needed time and space. Why there is history, his story, and why Satan was caught off guard in the greatest show of God's power in history, which was at the cross. Grace is unpredictable, irresistible, and life-changing. Not a single created being, including the devil, could have ever imagined what God would dare to do by taking on life as a homeless teacher and get brutally nailed to the cross so that mankind could be saved forever. Are you kidding me? The infinite, unsearchable, uncreated, almighty God who speaks reality into being? What an unimaginable, unthinkable thing. And yet, because it is unimaginable, it reveals the bounty of God's grace and heart. I hope that today you get in touch with this grace, not just as a pardon of your sins or a buzzword for how nice God is, but rather as life itself. Grace is what allows you to breathe and wake up in the morning. Grace is what gives you direction when you are lost or inspiration when you're working on the mission that God has called you to work. Remember that we work not to please God, or to get his approval, but rather because we have already received approval because of our faith in Christ. Grace is also what brings people into your life and takes them away. Grace is even what sends you the right challenges to deal with so that you are conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Grace is the fire that lights the darkness of our desperately wicked lives and hearts, and it is the heartbeat that shocked us back into life where we were once dead in our sins. And one day, when all this is said and done, grace will still be all of these things as we walk hand in hand forever with the Creator Himself in a perfect world as it was always meant to be. It's the ultimate adventure, and as someone who loves adventures, I truly hope you will join me. Maranatha, 